G'day guys, welcome to Divine again. This is our eighth episode. Uh, I am Nick and I run a digital agency here out of the Commons and this is Tomo. Hello, uh, I run my own design business here at the Commons also which is brand focused or branding focused. The Commons is a co-working space in Collingwood uh, which is in Melbourne uh, and this is our podcast, Divine, which is mind-walking through the lands of development and design and discussing how they intersect on the web. web. Um, today we're talking about things we wish we knew when we were starting out. Um, but before we go into that, Nick, how's your last week been? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Um, had a pretty big deadline for a project that we'd both done a bit of work on um, that was on Thursday and we sort of got everything ready for that. And it's been a massive sort of three weeks Um so that went really, really well. Sick. Um, yes, yeah, so that was a big sort of uh, breathe out. Yeah, we're getting there Yeah, this one. It's yeah. been a bloody monster of a project. It has been. It has been. But I think, um, yeah, it'll be one of those ones where once we get to the end, then we'll be like, wow, this is awesome. I'm yeah. Proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but then I also started getting sick last week, and so I'm finally getting over that only now, which is a week and a half ago. Um, yeah. So... That has been a pain. And then, you know, as soon as I started getting sick, I went to Canberra to play a Finska tournament. What's Finska for those playing at home? Well, it's the best uh, game known to man, but it's a, it's a Finnish game where you throw wood at other wood. So you can look that <laughs> up at finska.com.au. <laughs> um, Sounds complex. Yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah, but, uh, but apparently standing out in the field at 10 a.m. Uh, drinking beers is not a good way to get over a cold. Yeah. So fine. that was a learning from that weekend. Yeah, look, that's uh, it's all about learning and developing yeah. in this... And, Game of life. <laughs> and I've also been using Paste App, which is a great little um, uh, Mac, maybe Windows, I don't know, uh, little app. And essentially it's just like a uh, clipboard history manager. Right. So every time you sort of copy something or cut something, um, it sort of saves it to this uh, clipboard that you can then review and go back, like, you know, five ah. days and like arrow through them and be like, oh, let's insert this one or whatever. Okay. And so... And also you can start categorizing the things you save into different sort of areas. So, for instance, you could have what, – what I was doing for this project, I copied all the brand colors, um, like the four different colors or whatever it was, and then saved them in sort of like a different tab within the paste app. So I could go Shift-Command-V and then Command-Bracket um, to go into this special area, and then I could like just arrow around and then hit the color. So it just it was made it really quick. Yeah, cool. Um, so that was an interesting app. And, yeah, using it for a lot of stuff now and finding that – you know, I'll copy something and then um, three copies later, especially when you're in development and you're cutting lines and moving pieces around, those things can delete some of the history that you might have that you were sort of holding on to to paste somewhere else at some stage. Okay. And so having this sort of history allows you to get through and, and use it. So it's actually been really, really good. I think it's only like five bucks or whatever. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's pasteapp.com, maybe. Pasteapp. Yep. Because, yeah, trying to look up paste, if you Google paste, you're just not going to find it because that's just a crap name for an app. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, so let's get into it then. So things I wish I knew. <laughs> Forget about my week. Oh, did we do your week? <laughs> That's all right. Doesn't no, okay, matter. let's just get into it because Tom didn't do anything that he loves doing for the past week, actually. <laughs> what did you do, Tom? Sorry, mate. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> this week I've been doing a type design. Yeah, so moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no way. No, I need to talk this about type. Out, yeah. It's not an episode if I haven't <laughs> at least mentioned type. Yeah, so the last week I've been doing a... A type and lettering um, intensive. So that's this is week one of two. So mm-hmm, I've been there mm-hmm. nine to five, Monday to Friday, just living and breathing type. <laughs> nice. Um, going through like all the different hand 
styles, I guess, like all the different techniques and all the different tools or beginning to explore the different tools that are used for lettering. Right. As in like creating lettering sort of on paper with an... Yeah, so like like one exercise we'll use like a pointed tip calligraphy pen and look Uh at how the strokes naturally go thick and thin and then look at the typefaces that were informed by that style. Right, right, right. Looking back to like the 1600s mm-hmm. and typefaces that have carried on through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, creating a lot of type, doing like sign writing, um, but really geeking out over type with uh, th- three others and the teacher um, and just going through these awesome books that a lot of them are quite rare and just, uh-huh. um, yeah, just getting super inspired and learning a lot more about um, the type I think about type I think everything that I stated in our type episode mm-hmm. needs to have like a, a little disclaimer yeah, okay. which is like before <laughs> type design intensive yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah well, that could be something cool to revisit yeah definitely yeah. Um, I think already there's there's a few things that could probably be straightened out a little bit uh-huh. um, also in the last week well at least um, between episodes I went to a workshop run by Emily Cohen um, who's from the States and authored the book Brutally Honest, which is, um, I think it's in its third or second um, print run. Mm. Um, and it was awesome. Like, just about 15 other, I guess, design agency owners uh-huh. um, just jamming out about um, the importance of saying no in business, and, right, yep. but also showing love in client relationships and so really investing yeah, cool. in the... In the relationships, because we spend so much time with these people. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and that old adage of like, oh, the clients are pain in the ass is so annoying. Yeah, and I'm really trying to be more mindful of like complaining about clients. Yeah, because it's often yeah, a it's a, often a reflection of my own management For and sure. communication yeah, skills. Yeah. If it's always a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also got exposed to what other agencies are charging for particular. Oh, okay. Um, Engagements yep. and that was a bloody eye opener. Yeah, right. Yeah, a really valuable one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's been my past week. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad we got to hear about that, even though you know, <laughs> <laughs> tried to skip over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. All right, so let's get into it. So again, uh, yeah, things I wish I knew. So, um, what do you think, Tomo? Is something that you wish you knew when you were first starting out? Yeah, and I, yeah, I think it's important to to um, define the point in time we're referring to. It's like. Just fresh into the world as a starting a design business from nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that I've learnt along the way, which I think would be really valuable to have front of mind at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I knew that hourly billing is not a really awesome way to charge for okay. um, design work. Right. So what's the alternative that you've come to adopt? Project based. Okay. Um, so, and and I guess an extension of that is value-based, but mm-hmm. at least having an idea of what you're going to do. So, if you're starting out, it might be a logo or it might be a brochure or something something like that, some mm-hmm. kind of design asset or some kind of application or, you know, if it's, if it's a developer, it might be a website and mm-hmm. there's some kind of defined scope. Um, rather than being like, okay, I'm just going to charge hourly for this, um, think about how many hours it might take you and... Think about how much you think you should be making an hour uh-huh. um, based on what your expenses are and then think about the value that you're providing mm-hmm. and then think about, all right, is this is there potential for ex- lots of revisions? Like what's it like with this client? Mm-hmm. Add buffer for that. Think about is it 
a kind of project I like working on. Yes, cool. No, buffer for that. You know, um, and so I think the the word that probably is the the toughest one in that sentence is the what value are you providing? Yeah, and it's it's you're not always going to know straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, way of understanding is like I don't know how many places this website's going to be featured, mm-hmm. or like you know how many visitors it has, or mm-hmm. how many stores this branding is going to be applied to, or. Those are some ways of looking at it. But I think before entering into the, the, the value-based mm-hmm. pricing territory, it's important to consider project-based pricing. Yeah. Because the issue with hourly-based pricing is that it's you're punished for being efficient. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's ridiculous. Yeah. So you'd say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be more efficient and do it quicker, therefore you'd get paid less. And that doesn't make sense. If anything, it should be the opposite way around. Well, particularly if it's, if it's a time-sensitive project mm. and they need quick turnaround. Yeah. It's just... I think it's just a redundant way of looking at mm-hmm. pricing things, and I, I think it's on its way. It's on its way out. Yeah, you reckon? I don't know because that's. I think that's one of the hardest things I've found in this whole journey is pricing and trying to figure out. And, and I guess, yeah, because hourly based pricing is just so simple to do. I think that's why it's done so much, and that's why you start out doing it like that because it's easy. Just to be like, okay, cool. It's X amount an hour. I reckon it's going to take this many hours. That's the amount. Because I found that getting into project and value-based pricing is more about, like, to me, it's a fuck, it's a, it's a black art and it's, like, it's so based on experience to mm-hmm. try and establish those values and, and those amounts that I don't think you can really learn it necessarily. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so context and project and client, rel- uh, you know, changing and it's, I think it's one of those things, yeah, it's difficult to learn um, and it's more from experience maybe. Yeah, I, I agree to an extent. Because um, it can become quite complex, mm-hmm. you know. You have to. I mean, it's also really cool. I think it doesn't have to start complex. Like, if it's a thing, I wish I knew. I wish at the start, I just framed it as project-based pricing, and it doesn't have to be all these like fifteen criteria for pricing. It's just how long do I think it'll take? What's my hourly rate that I think is reasonable for where I'm at? Multiply them. There's your fit. Yeah. So I guess the key takeaway there is it's it's still internally for yourself, it's still hourly based, but the client doesn't know that. So at the end, you might tally up those values, but in the end, you just say, this is the total figure for this project. And you don't tell them the breakdown of the hours and the hourly rate and whatever. No. And I just, I just steer the conversation away from the hours because then you're just, it's not, yeah, exactly. You're just like a cog in the rig, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. It's, it's almost like you're on an assembly line and you just have to, I just don't think it's an effective way of pricing things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it could be that you lose out, you know, mm-hmm. you, and it happens all the time. Yeah. You're underquoted and it's like, damn it, um, I ended up working for five bucks an hour. Totally. But yeah. you learn from that. Exactly. And the next exactly. project, you quadruple your yeah. price. And even still now, like projects we do sometimes will um, underquote them and then you're like, damn, well, we lost out a little bit on that one. And then some, you overquote and you win them and you win some, you lose some in that respect, you know? Yeah. So yeah. The, the, key thing, <clears throat> the key thing I wish I knew was project-based pricing yep. straight away. Yep, yep, agree. And, and, that's great. And clients will be saying to you, oh, so what's your hourly rate? Or like, yeah, that's cool, but how does that break down into the hourly? It's just like, it doesn't. What would you do if then somebody said, okay, well, once you do the project, what if we need a little bit of ad hoc um, design, for instance, like afterwards, if it was just like a little piece here, a little piece there, would you give them, say, okay, this is the project fee, and then any, so maybe like an extra five hours of revisions will be this much, or would you say this is an hourly rate for little ad hoc staff or, I mean, it's probably different for design obviously as well. Yeah. But. I mean, I think particularly with the way my business is heading and the, the, the type, 
of engagements that I want to be involved in, it isn't ad hoc. Mm-hmm. It isn't addressing a small problem or it isn't performing a job that, again, is reduced to an hourly basis. Yep. If anything, if there's maintenance or something that has to happen, that should be someone else mm-hmm. who still kind of subscribes to the hourly-based yep. pricing yep. model. Um, but, yeah, I'd rather sit down with the client again and be like, okay, what's the overall problem here and how can we break it down into a project again? Yeah, yeah. And then quote on that yep, yep, yep. rather than being like oh here's this little thing boom there you go here's this little thing boom and there's an alley mm-hmm. this is all kind of in ideal sure. terms that we're yep. talking here yeah I mean well definitely for us like we'll see that we get a decent amount of ad hoc stuff here and there after a project finishes or a couple of weeks after or whatever it might be and yeah we could definitely point them off to another agency or get somebody on like a maintenance retainer or something like that um, but we find usually that ad hoc stuff is pretty good. Um, and also it's, I guess it's maintaining the relationship with the client to some degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess like our, you know, when, when you start getting into this sort of pricing stuff, it's definitely, if you're going to be doing sort of a project um, rates or a project fee, generally your hourly rate, you know, is going to be quite a lot higher than what you'd be charging in that project fee, if that makes sense. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's to cover yourself. Exactly right. Because yep. I see, you know, three hours on a project as five. Mm-hmm. Generally, when, when you factor in comms and yep. invoicing and exactly. you know, the things yeah. that happen around that. And it's like, okay, here's five hours that I'm doing within the next 48 hours. Mm-hmm. How does that affect the larger engagements, the larger projects? And increasingly, I'm looking at these small pieces of work as detrimental yep, to yep. my my business yep. so yeah cool so what's something you wish you knew when you were starting out um so from i'll get into like a more developer perspe- a specific one um or a web uh, developer specific one but i remember when i was starting out i was um just doing sort of front-end dev and so i'd be given designs basically and just had to sort of build the site um, yeah and back then, back in my day, yeah. um, back then it was usually Photoshop files um, and they'd just be handed over and I'd just build it from there. But I never sort of got um, style guides or anything like that. And so the problem was that you ended up sort of not really looking at the designs that you were provided with sort of from a design um, perspective and it was more just okay let's just build it from the top down and just make this stuff and whatever happens you didn't sort of think okay what are all these pieces of design and how are these related to each other and what's all the consistencies that you can see going on whether that be not just fonts and font size and stuff like that but also you know padding sizes margin sizes spacing all that kind of stuff yeah and so by i think starting with a style guide and the very least just setting up your typography and your h1 to fives and your body and all that kind of stuff setting all that up and your buttons and inputs, if you can get all that from a style guide, then those sort of just become components that then slot in everywhere. Yep. And then you can start sort of seeing a bit more consistency come out through all the spacing and everything else like that. So I think that's a really important one. If you can get style guides with your designs, if you're doing that kind of development, then that's definitely a thing to try and push for. Yeah. And what what happens when you push for, it's like, hey, can I have a style guide? And then the client responds, don't have one. Yeah, and that'll happen, or they'll provide you a style guide, and it's obvious that the style guide wasn't used to inform the design that you've been given as well. It's just oh like my. it's just their style guide that they've had, you know, a year ago, or whatever. <laughs> Whip this one up, in exactly. Our yeah, MS Paint, um, and so that can happen. Um, and if that does happen, then I guess um, 
tough shit, basically, and you just got to roll with it to some degree. I mean, it depends where you're placed in this project and what your role is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because I think a, a style guide, and particularly one that's good, um, is going to come from a client of a particular calibre, yeah, which yeah. you might not be encountering starting out. 100%. But it is good to look for them. But yeah. I feel like there's a minimum kind of annual revenue of a client that has a legit style guide. Yeah, yeah. Not, not always, but, yeah. but I feel like there'd be a relationship there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it is, I guess it's good for that respect, um, but it's also good from a, like, as developers, often we need to take some creative license when you're building something um, from technical perspective or um, code consistency perspective, maybe, and having those style guides as well helps sort of inform some of those choices or can help inform some of those choices yeah. sometimes. And um, and not only that, but it's great to just get familiar with them and sort of see what they're like, see what, I mean, and style guides are so different as well from company to company. Oh, and, yeah. And so it's great to sort of have a bit of visibility on what people are doing and what to expect and what can be in style guides and, and that kind of stuff. So it's just good to get your um, design juices flowing. Yeah, for sure. You know? For sure. Um, so, yeah, something that's come up, I mean, I've got a few points here, but what's risen to the, the top for me is process. Mm-hmm. Like putting, I wish I... Um, knew at the start the importance of documenting process. Right. Um, Can you give us a, like a, yeah, what sort sure. of level like, are we like, talking about here? Well, just even a logo design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rather than every time you do it, it's like, okay, starting from How do scratch, we do this again? You know? Yeah. Um, rather than looking at the different steps that kind of repeat themselves each time, I just revisit the project, like with a completely fresh set of eyes each time, yeah. And what that leads to is a lot of you know repeated ac- activities, um, and just generally being quite inefficient, mm-hmm. and also not providing an opportunity to reflect on process and refine it. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you sort of manage that at the moment? Then, do you have a process guide or? I do. Yeah, I've got like a InDesign template set up mm-hmm. um, with the steps for each phase yep. um, and I guess rough timelines for each and rough, rough fees for each uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and each engagement now I can refer back to that and be like okay so just for example the stylescapes phase you know in light of some recent learnings here's some tweaks mm-hmm. that are going to be made to that but yep. if I didn't have that foundation what would I be building on yeah, yeah, what yeah. would I be tweaking mm-hmm. um, so a resource that definitely comes to mind or that it's this book where called Run Studio Run um, by Eli Altman, mm-hmm. um, where I guess one of the key messages is that which can't be measured can't be improved. Yep. So documenting process is just a really good way of, um, yeah, providing a more valuable service, mm-hmm. but um, also being able to communicate it to a client. Right. Like I think particularly in design, they're not, really well, they're not necessarily buying into the outputs mm-hmm. you know the the nice looking stuff yep. they're buying into your process yeah sure so the better that that can be communicated as a result of documentation and refinement i think the better positioned any designer would be but i'm sure for a developer as well yeah definitely. if you're presented with a brief and you know your process mm-hmm. it also takes a lot of stress out of it 100 percent. it's like okay yeah. well i've got 
this god yeah. you know yeah. i know what i know at least enough because it doesn't have to be 100% because mm. it really is but i feel like it's getting closer to like 70 80% is repeatable yeah um yeah and i think i think yeah for us uh, from like a developer it's you know like like you're saying they they're not necessarily buying the output which is a website you know they they're buying what's all under the hood and that black box of all the programming that you've done and that can be good or bad or well thought out or poorly thought out um and yeah getting a little sort of um transparency into that and the process and the considerations that you're taking to make certain decisions um is definitely a lot of value there so to be able to communicate that's a, is is definitely good for sure mm. um so is there something else that stood out for you when you were starting um yeah i think i mean and i had um in a list of things to talk about i had um yeah project and value based pricing as well um but another another business related one which is similar in a way i guess but um is just to charge more and I, that's a classic thing whenever sort of people that are starting out in business would talk to one of us it's just like you just need to charge more money like you're just not charging enough you're sort yeah. of undervaluing yourself and also, don't listen to, pe- to people. And sometimes it might be your parents, or it might be, yeah, yeah. you know, a very conservative, boring friend. Yeah. Oh, you, you shouldn't be charging that much. It's like you know what? Shut up. <laughs> yeah. You know, because the key thing is often when talking about price with someone who doesn't run their own business, uh-huh. there's no consideration given to the fact that you're paying your own taxes. Yeah. You're covering all your own overheads. You know, you're collecting GST. Mm-hmm on behalf of your client, like all these things it's that affect the price. Heaps, absolutely, yeah. And the fact that you don't have a steady wage for, for like every single day, you so you've to, got to make up for that. You need to prepare for the future, you work weekends, yeah. you know, you bend over backwards to mm-hmm. service your clients. Like there's so many things that just completely make that commentary mm-hmm. commentary redundant, Yeah, not worth listening to. Do you reckon that's translatable into sometimes what clients think about some things in the way that they value work? What do you mean? Like in terms of not understanding all the stuff that goes into running a business and whatnot, I think I've I've seen maybe, which is interesting, but I've found that some smaller businesses or maybe startups, even to some degree, some startups don't value your time in the same way that they value their own. So they okay. want to try and like... Yeah, I mean, I think both in, in personal and professional relationships, if someone's pushing back and saying, you know, oh, you're charging way too much. Oh, it's not worth that. It's like, yeah, cool. Like, w- let's not work together. We're just not aligned on it, and so yeah. that's fine. If you don't value this process, that's fine. Totally. I do, and yep. this is how much it is. Yeah. And that's, here's how long it takes. That's been a key learning for me, I think, over the past six months has been that idea of sort of positioning and alignment. And yep. so positioning yourself wherever you want to. And wherever you want to is kind of fine. That's mm-hmm. up. That's your own decision. But then, but once you're there, it's sort of, okay, now if you meet with a client and they don't have the budget or they don't think it's worth it or whatever it is, it's like, okay, well, that's what that's the expectations and the outcomes they want and that's just not aligned with what we're providing, so that's fine. Yeah. And that's just like, okay. 100%. And that was a key thing that came from this workshop. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's great to say no. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love this graphic in a book by um, David C. Baker, which also is covering this point. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's this double-page spread and it's just... No, 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 yes. Yeah. No, okay. no, 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 no. Like, you shouldn't be saying yes to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think one is that you don't need a degree to be awesome. Yeah, okay. Um, you said that, well, you don't need to have a degree to be a great designer or developer. Um, 
you have to commit to the lifelong learning. Yeah, and I, and that's like it's almost in a way the opposite, isn't it? Because a degree is three years, you get a piece of paper at the end, and it's like that's the end of this, that's the finish. Yeah, when I, really it's I, not yeah. that. This is that's the start of the beginning of your learning, and you know what I see university to be t- to a large degree is learning how to learn, and that's what high school is as well, in my opinion. Mm. Um, you know, it's about yeah, learning how to learn new things and learn how to understand new concepts and apply them. It's not the it's not the meat that you're learning; it's the way that you're learning. Yeah, yeah, that's totally. And that, and that just continues forever, and is you know just insanely valuable as well because it's just it's just that compounding thing of yeah, you just end up with so much knowledge, and that's actually interesting because I've been reading um, Atomic Habits recently, which is a yeah. book about um, yeah, you've yeah. brought that up a few times. Yeah, yeah, and a book about habit development basically and how to create new habits and stop. Um, bad ones and um and i guess the one of the reasons i guess habits can be so powerful is because they're compounding in that same way that Mm -hmm. once you have one once you have that habit or once you have that knowledge then you start a new one or you learn something else and it's just sort of compounds and more and more and more on top of it and so the more you can sort of start doing that and continue doing it you know in 10 years that's just so much valuable stuff at the end of that definitely yeah Yeah. um yeah and i I think just on the the subject of learning, um, while you don't need a degree to be a gun in your area, um, you do need to learn the foundation. Yeah, for you sure. You do need to learn the rules before you start breaking them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and this is something I've had to come come to terms with as well over the years. You know, particularly in design. Um, you just want to do wild, crazy stuff yeah, okay. and be like, I'm experimental and check it out. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but if there's no foundation. Yeah, if that's not underpinned by something that's... <sighs> yeah, and I mean, you just have to learn the mm-hmm. foundations, you know, typography and grid systems and history of design and who the who the big dogs are. And yeah. um, I think it's very common to not look back far enough. Okay to be looking at examples of design from the last four or five years when really there's stuff happening in the, you know, 50s and 60s that's freaking wild or yeah, even yeah. looking at type specimens from the 1750s, you know. Like, <laughs> there's so much already there. Yeah, And yeah. you're pretty much just remixing it. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the... I think they're the main areas that I wanted to cover. Yeah, okay. What, what about... um. The word that you use to describe yourself as somebody oh, okay. that... Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> so this is positioning. Um, and something I wish I knew at the start is that, in my opinion... Also, what would you, how would you define positioning quickly to... Positioning is basically how you present to the public mm-hmm. um, as a business or as a whatever, as yep. an individual, uh-huh. as a group of people. Yep. It's just how you are presenting okay. externally. Yep. And that's often, and I guess what I find interesting about positioning is often it's a manifestation of your internal definition of yourself almost in a way, right? Sure. Sort of like, okay, this is what we do. This is who I, in business, for example, this is what we do. This is how much we're worth, da, 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 da. And if you believe that internally, that's sort of that, and it's that presented to the lead or the client or whatever it is, and that's your positioning being like, this is what we do. This is... Uh, who we are, what we believe in, blah, 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 blah. This is the kind of work yeah. we like doing, etc. The type of people we work for. Yeah. 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 Or work with, not for. Um, and then so in relation to that, what is, what's the bit that you wish you knew at the start? Just freelancer is the worst. <laughs> it's the worst title ever. 
Um, <laughs> Are you just a freelancer when you started? <laughs> yeah, because I, th- I think this topic's interesting for me because when I, after I'd sort of left my um, main sort of agency role as a dev there, I sort of got some clients on the side and was working from home and, you know, in my pyjamas, in my room kind of thing and felt I wouldn't have called myself a small business because I, I didn't have that mindset of this, I'm running a business now. And I, yeah. and I would have called, I probably did call myself a freelancer. For um, sure. And I think that's a fitting title because it's not, I wasn't business focused at all. I just happened to have a few clients that I'd work with and I'd do stuff for them and they'd pay me. Like it wasn't, it was, yeah. it was a mindset change, I think. And that's yeah. sort of, yeah. I just think often, oftentimes people are doing a lot more than the freelancer title um, gives them. Yeah. So I think maybe that's a problem. Hey, when, when you're feeling internally that you're running a business and then somebody says, oh, so you're just a freelancer. It's like, well, no, that's no. not right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, particularly when, it, when it's, yeah, prefaced with just. Just. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a freelancer, but there is something wrong with positioning yourself as a freelancer when really you're a business owner. Yep, exactly. Yep, and I think that's a key, yeah. So if you're – or, or the, the other way around, if you're positioned as a business owner and somebody says, oh, you're just a freelancer, then that's a conflicting thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you just push them off a bridge. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, well, um, so wrapping up then, what do you think are the most important points? Ditch hourly billing. And with positioning, we didn't really cover on this, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just going to throw the spanner in Just there. drop it in. Think about what you want your one thing to be. Okay. So we were talking about positioning in terms of being externally, mm-hmm. how you present externally. You can have a lot of things going on internally, but just one message to the public. You know, for me, it's like branding-focused design. Yeah, yeah. And I can do other things and do web development, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but that's internal. Yeah, okay. Yeah, how about you? What are the nugs? Um, I guess we didn't even go with this either, but I'm just going to drop it in as well. So um, you can learn design, and it can be a logical learning process. And that goes back to um, episode two, I think it was, Misconceptions, yeah. which was that you need to be quote-unquote creative, um, or if you're not quote-unquote creative, then you can't be a designer. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's a, a big thing that had I've known when I was starting out, I would have put a bit more energy into learning design and starting that journey earlier. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, if you're starting out as a freelancer and wanting to get or move more into sort of um, running your own business and, and whatever that is, just start charging more. And the other time. one, yeah, the other um, nug is process. Document it, communicate mm-hmm. it, refine it. And that's it. Done. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Ciao.